You're listening to the Save the Marriage Podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Hey, this is Lee Balkum, and this is the Save the Marriage Podcast. This is the podcast I designed to help you save your marriage. We're now almost at 400 episodes. In fact, if you throw in those bonus episodes, you get over 400 episodes. Now, you may be getting this on a podcast app, whether it's Apple's or some other app, and you may not be seeing all 400. The reason is because there's a limit to how many episodes they show So if you want access to all of them, you can drop by SaveTheMarriagePodcast.com. That's SaveTheMarriagePodcast.com, a great place to find all those extras. Now, what you'll see is something that I am kind of shocked by, that I can keep finding important things to talk about for over 400 episodes. And the reason is because of you. I get questions from you, and I also have many clients coming to me You may be one of my clients, and so sometimes I look to see where people are still stuck. What I'm trying to do is to continue to provide extra insights beyond what you find in the Save the Marriage system, which really is the primary piece. You know, if you're looking for a primary starting point for saving your marriage, it starts at savethemarriage.com with the Save the Marriage system. That's the system that I designed um, for you to use wherever you are, no matter what your situation, you know, sometimes almost on a daily basis, I'll have people say, well, what about this? Will it address this? Well, yes, because the underlying issues that harm a marriage are very, very similar. (laughs) That's the interesting thing. It can show in lots of different symptoms, but what's causing the problem is the same. And that's one of the topics I want to talk about today. And The reason for today's topic is because I had back-to-back sessions with two couples. In the first session, they barely could manage each other because they were so angry with each other. They just, you know, I could see almost this tension, this redness in their face, and they were both just ready to pounce on each other. Then the second couple, it's like they wouldn't even talk to each other. It was like an icy feel to the call. Now, I'm working with these people by, uh, you know, remote. And so it's not that I am in the room feeling it. You, you have those moments, right? When you're with a friend and you just like, man, you're about to burn up with your emotional state. And other times you get around someone and you're like, man, I'm about to freeze out, right? By how they're feeling. This is the emotional temperature that I'm talking about here. It's kind of the energy level and also the expressed emotion If you think about our emotional temperature, you know, there are days when you get up and you just, you have all this energy and there's like this warmth, right? That's just pushing you forward. And there are other times when you're, you're hot with anger, but you can also be cold with anger, cold with disconnect. Like you you just kind of freeze out the other person. There's almost the anger has led to kind of an indifference and that's, what I'm talking about, the kind of the emotional state, the emotional temperature, or maybe the emotional thermostat that you're feeling in your relationship. The interesting thing is that couples don't really realize that they have set that emotional thermostat. Some couples find themselves having set the emotional thermostat like the heat is always on. 
You have you ever had that happen where you forgot and you left on the heat and, and the house just got hotter and hotter? Maybe you were a little chilly, so you cut up a little bit and you didn't turn it back and it just kind of gets hotter and hotter and you suddenly realize that you're just in this very uncomfortable, hot situation. Or maybe you turn it back and, and then the temperature falls and suddenly the temperature in the house is just super cold. And it's the same with a the couple. They find themselves at a certain setting, a, ther- a certain thermostatic setting or emotional thermostat. So their emotional temperature, it plays out both in, as I said, the energy level. So when it's hot, you know, I can watch couples really engage with each other, but in angry ways. I'm not talking about warm engagement. I'm talking about hot anger engagement. And other times when it's so cold, they just seem to be, you know, kind of shivering and separating and staying in their different place. So there are two different expressed emotions for each of these. Sometimes what I see is rage with couples when they are in this very hot state, the hot temperature. Rage, anger. Those are the two. And really, they're the same. It's just a different level. Sometimes we can be angry about something and we're just kind of, you know, whenever we're incited, we pop off. But rage is just that feeling that is just pouring out of people. And then there is that cold, cold place of of the feelings, which is more about that seething but distant anger that's there. Notice that that when I just named them both, they both have a common root, whether it's hot or cold, it's anger. Which leads us to want to look at something very important. In our culture, we struggle to understand anger. More than that, we struggle to understand how to express anger. And what I've realized is that most of us are not raised on expressing anger in very appropriate ways. We learn either to kind of take it out on someone or to hold it in. Neither one of those are particularly helpful, but you know, both of those are ways of us really avoiding dealing with our anger. And that's what kind of, it's of interest to me that most of us don't know an appropriate way to do anger. And so we do anger in a way that either repels people so we don't have to deal with it at all, Or we pull back so we don't have to deal with it at all. Repelling people with our anger is the hot anger. Pulling back so we don't have to deal with that anger for ourselves, that's the cold anger. Neither one are particularly pleasant to deal with and neither one are particularly productive in getting our needs met or dealing with our crises in a marriage, but that's generally what we do. And sometimes we vacillate between the two. So many times I've watched couples come in and it's like they, you know, they engage and then they distance and they engage and they distance. And the engagement is this hot anger and the distance is this cold anger. And at no time do they ever get to the point where they're actually dealing with the underlying issue. They're just avoiding it with the ways they're expressing their anger. So the common root for all of this is important to understand You see, anger is not a primary emotion. We sometimes think it is. But it's a secondary emotion. Anger is the outward expression of the feeling inside of hurt or of threat. Some fear place within you. Hurt and fear and threat are all kind of threaded together. And whenever we feel that, it often comes out as anger. 
And sometimes it's such a dominant feeling that it's hard for us to even get to the place of identifying the, the hurt on the inside. So many times I'll sit with people and they'll tell me how angry they are. And I'll ask them if they can see a place of hurt. And they'll challenge me and say, no, no, I'm just feeling anger. So I'll ask them to tell me what they're angry about. And if they talk for very long at all, we suddenly arrive at the place of hurt. I'm angry because of what that person said to me. Okay, that's about the hurt. I'm angry about what that person did. That's really hurt. So if we look at it from that lens, what we recognize is whether the anger is hot or the anger is cold, it's really about the hurt, which gives us the root back. (laughs) I want to talk about this from a couple of different angles, though. One of them is what I proposed as the path to intimacy. I think that most people really want to have that level of intimacy in a marriage, that level of of place where you feel like you're on each other's side, where you, you understand each other, where you accept each other, where you love each other. That's intimacy. Scott Peck, in his book After the Road Last Traveled, talked about community. He called it a different drum, and that's his outline of how we get to community. And as I was reading through it as a graduate student, it occurred to me that what he was describing really was intimacy on a larger scale. Community comes, the sense of community comes in a larger group than two when they kind of coalesce into this place of being. And so Scott Peck used that to talk about how organizations and and places can arrive at community. Well, as I dissected it, it really was what happens when a couple, two people, arrive at intimacy. And so he said that there are four stages. I'm not going to go in-depth in this because I talk about this in the Save the Marriage system on the path to intimacy. But I want to just highlight how we get stuck in this hot or cold place and how really it can be part of the developmental process to get to intimacy. So he says the first level is pseudo or pseudo community. I turned it into pseudo intimacy. So pseudo intimacy is where you are kind of pretending like we are in this together. You know, we it's it's a pretend connection. We're so similar, right? Many couples in the early days want to prove how similar they are. We come from the same background. We have the same views. We enjoy the same food. We like the same music. We like the same activities. We have the same friends. There's a sameness that they're looking for. I remember that when I was meeting and getting to know my now wife. You know, we were establishing all these places where we were alike. Our mothers were both in education. Our fathers were both in the ministry. You know, we came from the basic same geographic region surrounded by the same basic geographic people. And our experiences were very similar of having moved and been in new schools and that kind of thing. And here we were at the same university. In fact, I remember one time we kind of figured out that we had been on the same beach at the same time probably within just a few hundred meters of each other or a hundred yards of each other. And and that had happened just, you know, so we were almost at the same place, right? We could just imagine how close we had been at one point. And we liked the same kind of foods and we would enjoy the same movies. Well, that's, that's a great bonding moment, but it's not true intimacy. 
It's pseudo-intimacy. We fool ourselves into thinking we are just alike. That's, that's what happens at that stage. We're just alike. We, we see things just alike. We see the world just alike. The problem with that is it doesn't last forever. At least if you want to progress on to true intimacy, it can't last forever. Eventually, you have to recognize that you're different, that you see things differently. And unfortunately, we sometimes struggle with what that means because we've bought into this myth of being just alike, of seeing things just alike, of being exactly on the same page, and suddenly you realize you're not. And it usually starts when somebody says, we like this, and the other person says, I don't. (laughs) We think this, and the other person says, I don't. We believe this, and the other person says, I don't. The illusion is fractured. Suddenly, it's not about being on the same page. And the struggle ensues. But the struggle is trying to get back to the place of being just alike. Being at the same place. Because there is the belief that that's the right way of being in intimacy. And so the struggle begins. And so Scott Peck called that chaos. We can use that same term. It's chaos. Not necessarily fighting, not necessarily arguing, but chaos. Chaos breaks out because we don't know what to do. And so we struggle, trying to get the person back. And that's where the first level of the heat comes from. It's easy to see the heat of that situation where you're arguing, trying to get the person to see it like you see it because you used to be at the same place. You you may not even recognize that that's it, but that's what's going on. You're trying to get the person to see your way because your way is the right way because you both used to see it that way. And in the process, lots of hurts happen. Lots of people feel discounted at that level, dismissed and discounted. And that hurts. And that leads to a struggle to try to get the person back to where they never really were. And they're doing the same back to try to get you back to where you never were. So lots of arguments happen here. Lots of struggling happens here. Lots of heat and a lot of hot temperatures in the relationship build up because you, you forgot the temperature setting that needed to be there. So chaos is marked by the hot. But if you live through the chaos long enough, the hot long enough, it can turn cold. Because the struggles don't get you anywhere. They don't get you back to where you were because where you were was never really true. You pretended to be connected. You thought you were connected. You believe that. And once that illusion is punctured, you can go back to that, but you really have to pretend at that point. So the next level is emptiness, and that's the internal peace. Chaos happens between couples. There's a lot of heat and energy between couples when they're in the chaos stage, trying to change each other back to see the way it's supposed to be. At emptiness, it's more internal. Internal in the sense that you recognize you don't know what to do with this person, (laughs) that they have changed on you. They're not, you're not the same. They're not the same. And you don't know what to do about it. 
And so the cold sets in. The despair sets in. The distance begins to set in. That emptiness, though, is actually on the way to something if you don't get stuck in it. So if pseudo-intimacy is we're just alike, and chaos is we're not alike, but you need to get back to where you were. You need to get back to where I am. That's chaos. Let me get you to where I see things. Then emptiness is we're not alike, and I don't know what to do with you. Because... The attempts at change haven't happened. They haven't worked. So it becomes cold and distant. I don't know what to do with you. Do you remember that feeling when you were a kid? Maybe you were acting out and your parents were trying to get you to do what they wanted you to do and you were refusing and they shook their head and said, I don't even know what to do with you. I remember it (laughs) because I was pretty stubborn. And so my parents might have felt that many times. They didn't know what to do with me because they were trying to get me to where... They thought I needed to be. I just didn't see it. I didn't see that place is where I needed to be. And so emptiness is marked with the feeling between couples where you don't know what to do with them. That's a painful place to be. Chaos is a painful painful place to be. Emptiness is a painful place to be. The difference is the interaction heat. Chaos can feel very energetic because you're arguing with each other and you're entangled with each other and you're struggling with each other. Emptiness can feel very separated, very distant and cold because you don't know what to do. But if you sit with it long enough, it's possible to get to emptiness, which is when you say, we're nothing alike. And that's pretty cool. Because now, instead of trying to get back on the same page, we can understand each other. We can really see each other for who we truly are. And we can work from the strengths of each person. We can celebrate the differences rather than trying to get away from the differences. We can see the place back. That's warm togetherness. In the beginning, it was warm, but you were really looking at, you were kind of in love with the reflection in the mirror of what you thought was there, right? You were looking in the mirror going, oh, we're just alike. Look, you're just like me. That's kind of warmth in the mirror. And then it gets hot in the struggle and then cold in the emptiness and then warm in the togetherness, warm in the connection of being there with each other, the emptiness that is gone because you now can accept each other and see that there's warm togetherness. Now, the interesting thing about this is sometimes one person can arrive at that place of acceptance of the other person while the other person is not yet there. And so until both get there, it's not truly intimate, but it is acceptance. Acceptance is something we can choose to do with a spouse at any time. So what's the danger of the anger and resentment? Well, many times when we're angry with each other, we say things and do things that are hurtful to the other person, lashing out out of our own hurt. If I'm hurt, I'm going to lash out to hurt somebody else. When hurt people hurt others, it's because of their own hurt. What's the danger of indifference? 
distance is hurtful. If somebody is distant from me, I often will distance from them because the hurt is there if I'm trying to be close and they don't want to. And so I have to manage that. I have to understand how that is. So there's a danger at each of the temperatures, which leads us to ask the question, so how do you get back from this? If the process to get to intimacy is necessary in every relationship, how do we do it? Well, first, most people don't recognize that there actually is that path back, that there actually is some place to move through the struggle, through the distance, into intimacy. So you're already ahead of the game when you know that. Instead of feeling the despair of the distance, you can go, oh, we are now at emptiness, and we have to sit with that to get to the new place. So let me propose a few steps on the path back. The first step on the path back is to take responsibility for where you are in that struggle, to where you are in the emptiness. You take responsibility for your own actions. When we believe that we're defending ourselves, then we're making the other person the bad guy. I only said what I said because of what you said. I only did what I did because of what you did is not a taking responsibility to say, wow, you know what? I said that and I shouldn't have. I did that and I shouldn't have. I apologize. It's why I talk about the power of the the apology. In fact, I use the apology letter formula with my clients because it's so powerful to do that. I include that in my VIP program so that people understand how you move through that process because it's so important to step into responsibility. But you can step into responsibility anytime. It's willing to say, you know what? I am responsible for my actions. What I say, what I don't say. What I do, what I don't do. I take responsibility. Jack Canfield points out the fact that responsibility is really a combination of two words, response and ability. In other words, I have the ability to respond differently when I take that on. So the first step is responsibility, recognizing that I can make a difference in how I respond. The second is to step into that responsibility and make a change. I talk about this in my 3C approach, that the three C's of saving your marriage is connecting, changing yourself, and creating a new path. So we're talking about that changing yourself. Now, most people, when I say change yourself, think I'm telling them that there's something wrong with them. I'm not. I just know that we all grow stagnant at different times in our life, and there's always a chance for us to step back in to growth to step back in to more of ourselves, to more of our true self rather than our stagnant self. And so when we change ourself, part of what we're doing is saying, where do I need to be better? Where do I need to be different? Where do I need to change my approach to get more of what I do want and less of what I don't want? How can I step into that responsibility in my actions? So we change ourselves. Part of my approach is to be able to step back. Let's say you decide to write that apology letter and you step back and you say, okay, my apology letter also gives me a recipe for where I need to make changes. If I'm apologizing for something, I need to change the behavior that led to that. Remember, 
If you make an apology and you make no change to change that behavior, there is no apology. A true apology includes a change of behavior so that you try not to have that happen again. So the second part of the path is to work on changing yourself. And the third part is working on connecting, healing the disconnection that's been there. The path out of emptiness is somebody reaching out and saying, you know what, we're not alike, but I love you. We're not alike, but I accept you. We're not alike, but I treasure you. And to get to the next point of saying, we're not alike, and I love you, and I accept you, and I treasure you. Part of love is not about being the same, but accepting the other person, of seeing their uniqueness, of their specialness, and of focusing on that rather than the lack of sameness. So that's a path back. The question for you is whether your crisis is hot or cold because that tells you where you are on the whole path. Are you still locked into the hot of the struggle of change or the cold of distance and of safety? Either way, there's a path back. If you're stuck, not sure what to do about that path, please grab my Save the Marriage system. I talk about how we follow this path in that. I talk about the steps you need to take given the stage you're in. And I have eight different stages you might be in in my quick start guide where you can assess and figure out exactly what steps you need to take immediately. Whether it's hot or cold, the process to get back is the path of the Save the Marriage system. Now, I do offer a free week of the VIP program. <laughs> Sometimes people want to know how to get to the apology letter. Well, it's a part of the VIP program where I go in depth. I do talk about it in my down and dirty guide that's part of the system, but I go in depth in the VIP system and I offer you a free week. And that week, you can delve into the depths of the apology letter formula and write your letter but you have to accept that. I don't force it on you. If you don't want it, just turn it down when it's offered to you. I also offer a free get started session with one of my coaches. Now, it's free. That doesn't mean it's worthless. It's incredibly powerful. But we just want to make sure you have your best start. And you sign up for that on the download page when you grab the system. So start here at savethemarriage.com. That's savethemarriage.com. If you already have the system, but you didn't step into VIP, we can get you in. You can join at any time. It's just the free week is when you sign up for the system. But you can send me a note at coach at savethemarriage.com. That's coach at savethemarriage.com. And we can tell you how to get into VIP if you already have the system, but you passed at that point. This is Lee Balkan wishing you the best as you work to save your marriage listening to Save the Marriage podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com.